good morning, Bentree Church. It's good to see you guys here and girls here. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, our friends and family in Greeley, we're so glad you guys are joining us. Church on campus, let's give it up. It's good to see you guys. Let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. We're going to be in the last book of the Bible called Revelation chapter 13 is the chapter we're going to be in. So just go to the very end. You'll see that book there. It's not a very long book. It's the series that we're in. Let me make a couple of observations before we get started on this. I think this will help you. Uh, the first observation is this. There is a danger in dealing with the book of Revelation in that there is so much bad teaching, uh, whacked out uh, theology that's based out of this book. Many of you, uh, let me just say this carefully, have ingested that poison. You've uh, unwittingly uh, listened to pastors and it has jaded you. In other words, you have believed the wrong thing and developed in course a wrong belief about God. Uh, my challenge to you is this, is as always, let Scripture uh, let the Bible interpret the Bible. Let Scripture interpret Scripture. Meaning, let's let the entire Bible speak and breathe life into us as the Word of God. How does it work together? What are we saying? How does it fit? And what I mean is, how do we actually live our life as believers? Today, we approach a few of the most iconic scenes in um, Revelation. Uh, these are scenes that uh, are well known if you are a Christian or not uh, because of pop culture, to be honest. Uh, you don't have to be a Christian to have heard about these scenes. Uh, some of you, uh, uh, some of what we talk about has come up in movies, uh, songs, uh, legends, uh, man, you name it, books, uh, and even whole cults, whole religions are based on the, uh, the just the few verses we're looking at today. What I'm saying is this stuff is well known in pop culture, at least on the surface. Does that make sense? Um, the difference is that we're going to look at these in context of what the Bible has to say, uh, and then we're going to relate it to the other parts of Scripture, specifically Jesus Christ and His words. Because most people who know about these pictures don't really know what they mean, even though they knew the story. And before we begin, here's my second observation about today. It's easier for us to play like this is stuff that is way out there. Everything happening in Revelation is something far out into the future uh, and that it doesn't have much to do with you. And, and, and I've heard a couple of people, I've gotten a couple of emails, well, why are we studying this? It doesn't have anything to do with me. And here's what I want you to do. Write this down. Is the book of Revelation has everything to do with you and how you relate to the Holy God. More than any other book, this book is about the future and about you and how you relate to a holy God. And so I want you to make sure and understand this. Christian or not, you are in this book. Like it or not, you're in this book. And how you respond to it carries eternal weight, um, no matter what you believe, Christian or not. Uh, that's why we study the book of Revelation, uh, is it's about you and how you relate to a holy God. Well, let's get started with a prayer. Would you bow your head and pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, you are great. 
and greatly to be praised. God, you have demonstrated your love for us in sending your uh, salvation through your Son, Jesus the Christ. Father, my prayer today is that you would just take these pictures, these scenes that Jesus revealed to the Apostle John and reveal the meaning to us. That's my prayer, God. Uh, Show us how we are to relate to you, a holy God, our Father. Speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit through your Son, Jesus, and his words to us. And it is in the name of Jesus that we all prayed and said, amen, amen. Well, here's one of the key points we found last week. Let me just remind you, anything less than God that we place our faith or we settle for is a false God, is an idol. Let me read that again. Anything less than God that we place our faith on or we settle for is a false God, an idol. You remember that last week as we talked about that stuff? Uh, we're near the end of chapter 13 in Revelation. Um, and, uh, and last week we saw a second man appear on the earth and lots of imagery, a second beast, if you will, not the same as the first, but like him. We don't know what his name will actually be when he shows up, but the name we call him is the false prophet. That's right, false prophet. And he has made an image of the first beast, uh, or what we call the Antichrist, and the false prophet has made an image of this Antichrist. Do you remember this? And he has placed it in the Holy of Holies inside the rebuilt Jewish temple on the current Jewish uh, the uh, temple mount where uh, right now a mosque sits. And I know this sounds crazy. I know, I know, we talked about this. But the false prophet gives this idol, this giant idol of the Antichrist, the ability to speak. Now, we just don't know what that means. Uh, maybe it's some crazy ventriloquial, ventriloquial I can't say it. Anyway, the, uh, I think it's like a, um, it's a giant animatronic. Uh, that sits in there, that the TV cameras are on 24 hours a day that you can uh, uh, watch. And the world worships the beast through this idol. What I'm saying is that Toto, we are not in Kansas anymore. This is something totally different uh, for that. Uh, The false prophet has commanded the world to worship the image of the beast He said, you've got to worship this. And after four weeks of preaching on this thing, here's what we've seen. Just to remind you, a world political leader, handsome, tall, strong, who has saved the world from catastrophe. Probably the most gifted human being on the planet uh, that has ever been born other than, say, Jesus. He's going to be incredibly talented. He saved the world from starvation. He brought peace. And from economic collapse, he has brought the world back from the edge of total annihilation. And yet he was assassinated. Do you remember? At least it appeared that he was assassinated. Everyone saw he was wounded. And and then he makes a miraculous return recovery. No one can understand, and the world worships him because of this full recovery, uh, what appears to be from the dead. We know it's fake, but it appears to be from the bed, dead. Uh, and he, he is worshiped by the world as a Savior, a promised one, a Christ, if you will. 
Uh, and we've seen Satan move from just manipulating this man to actually uh, uh, controlling this man, possessing this man. And the people of the world worship Satan. Oh, I doubt they call him Satan as they worship. I imagine they would use uh, the names of God from the Old Testament. Um, for instance, Yahweh. Uh, they'll call him something or maybe a new name. We just don't know. But this false prophet, this holy man, uh, is completing something awful here. We are halfway through this seven years we call the tribulation. You'll remember this. He's completing uh, a triad, if you will. Uh, what I want you to see here is that people will be deceived uh, what, with what Satan has done through all of this uh, is Satan has created an unholy trinity. Write it down this way. The satanic trinity, Satan, the antichrist, the false prophet. Three of the unholy trinity, Satan poses as God the Father. Uh, the antichrist, the beast, poses as the son of God. And the false prophet poses as the Holy Spirit of God. All knockoff versions. The satanic trinity mimics the true trinity uh, of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to do a full teaching on this. Uh, now, what's funny is, uh, I mean, uh, we tried to teach on this many times, and, and I love to teach on this. But here's what we know about the trinity in short is God is one. There is one God, right, who exists eternally in Three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and what? God the Holy Spirit. But one God, three persons. This is one of the deepest truths in all Scripture. It is something we hold as a closed-handed thing. In other words, we say this is truth. By the way, I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of the richness of that truth, even in heaven, because it is such rich in who God is. Evil has hit its power, uh, its full strength at this point in the tribulation, but the battle's not over. This image, the idol of the Antichrist, is this picture of the resurrected Antichrist, the fake resurrection. It will sit on the throne in the house of God. Now let me switch gears for just a moment here. Near the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. Go back before he is crucified, uh, before his death. He was talking about how to know when the end of uh, creation is at hand. Uh, and Jesus quotes the Old Testament prophet of Daniel. Do you remember this? Matthew 24, verse 15. Jesus says, so when you see the abomination of desolation, remember that, Spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Now remember, this is the halfway point through the tribulation. Amen, that's right. Open-handed issue here, but this is what I believe after my study. Write this down. The image of the Antichrist in the temple is the abomination of desolation. Do you understand what it's saying? In other words, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is coming back soon when this happens. 
He, he's saying, watch for it, be ready. And I'm not talking about the rapture. This is talk, the rapture is before the seven years. That's when the believers that are alive, when this thing happens, they go home. Then there's another, uh, right, a group of people that come to know the Lord uh, in that during the seven years of tribulation. Uh, and I'm talking, though, about when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation when he comes as a warrior to bring judgment on the earth and to set the captives uh, that are on the earth free. So this is an amazing thing. Uh, He's going to come. He's going to bring an army. He's going to bring a fight to Satan, and he's going to defeat Satan. Amen? Amen? This is huge. But what we need to understand is that the abomination of desolation is effective This idol, the world follows him. Well, not all the world. Remember, there's the 144,000 Jews that are uh, working like uh, super evangelists that have spread out, these men that have gone all over the world. Jesus is protecting them supernaturally. uh, But then the ones they are winning to Christ are, are getting slaughtered by the thousands and maybe millions. They're being persecuted, put on trial, killed on spot. But let's move on to verse 16. Watch what the false prophet does next on behalf of the Antichrist. You ready? Look at this. And it, the false prophet, makes everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead. Dun, dun, dun. This is one of those scenes that the world knows about. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian. It is. Raise your hand if you've heard about this. Yeah, yeah. Most of you have. Most of you uh, have heard about this. What is it? What is it, though? All kinds of speculation from every corner of, uh, of theology here. But look, it's a mark. We think it's visible, but maybe not. The speculation, uh, there may be some kind of tattoo, some kind of like barcode kind of thing that's on your forehead or on uh, your hand. Some people think it's a a microchip that could be inserted under your forehead or your hand like smaller than a grain of rice, maybe even the size of a grain of sand in some cases that some kind of computer or scanner could read that stuff. Uh, We have that kind of technology now. I mean, many of you have pets with uh, little, uh, you know, microchips put in. So if your pet got got lost, they could find out whose pet it is, right? Uh, can access all that information. But it doesn't have to be just that. Let me just let me just kind of freak you out a little bit here. Many of you uh, looked at your phone this morning, and what did you do? You pressed the button, and what did your phone do? It read uh, a, uh, your fingerprint, which is a number on your right hand. Um, that opened your phone. And then some of you didn't even have to press a button, did you? You just picked it up, and your phone is so nice, it scanned your little face and assigned a number. And some of you are like, ooh, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna use a phone again. Wait, too late, because uh, even if your picture has ever been on Facebook, and I'm just telling you the truth, you have a number assigned to your face, uh, and, and that's why Facebook can recognize who you are when you take a picture of someone or you appear on someone's Facebook or other social uh, matter. Um, I got to tell you, the technology doesn't scare me even a tiny bit. It doesn't. 
And people go, how, how can you not be scared with this? And, and to focus on it, I got to tell you, doesn't help you. It's interesting, kind of. But the stuff we should focus on is different. The big question is, why does the false prophet make this law that we just talked about, the rule that everyone should have this mark on either his head or his hand. Here's why. You ready? Here it is. The satanic trinity wants to mark their followers as their property. And if you really want to sum it up, Satan wants to mark people as his. We're talking a legal brand. What what the old cowboys used to brand their cattle, right? Uh, stick it on the rump, heat that up, and he, he wants to brand. It's a legal brand. Satan, using these two others, want to say, these people are mine, right? You can't have them, God. Now, just like everything else we've seen in the last few weeks, every move Satan makes is simply a fake version of the real thing that God does, right? We'll see that in a few minutes, that this fake is a, uh, this mark is a fake version of something God does. But let's just ask the question, why does uh, this even matter to Satan? Why do we matter to Satan? Uh, why does Satan want us? Why does he want us? What good are we? Well, Jesus answers the question way back in the Gospel of John, recorded by the same man who is recording the vision now, the Apostle John, who is now an old man. Jesus is revealing this. But back in the Gospel of John, John 10, 10, look at it. It says, a thief comes only to, say it with me, steal and kill and what? destroy. Now he's talking, Jesus is talking about Satan. He's calling him a thief that he's stolen. And he says the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Uh, but why is that? Why does he want to do that? Why does Satan want to do that? Uh, back in chapter 12, you remember in volume 2 of the Revelation series, the second series we did on Revelation, we learned in Revelation chapter 12 uh, that Satan tried to be like God. He tried to steal the throne from God, tried to steal the worship and tried to exalt himself while they were in heaven. And there was a war in heaven. It talks about it wasn't really a war because God is all-powerful. Satan is not. Satan is, boom, defeated. And uh, he took one-third of the angels with him in his defeat. Jesus confirmed this in Luke 10, 18. Now, I, I just got to say, I'm going to read this, uh, Luke 10, 18. But I want you to see something. This is crazy. Jesus is saying this. He says, he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, Christians, we're like, whoa. If you're not a Christian, let me just say something. Jesus claimed to be in heaven and watch Satan fall. He claimed to have been there. You've got to respond to that. Either the guy's crazy or he's a liar or he's Lord. I'm just saying, a little side note. But he watched Satan fall. Did you catch that? Jesus was there. Okay, now here's what... Uh, you want to see. He was cast out of heaven to where? To earth. And we know the whole story about Adam and Eve and the certain serpent. And then, uh, look, here's what I want you to see, though. When was Satan defeated? Satan was defeated when Jesus redeemed, look, his people on the cross 
with his blood. The crucifixion, amen? That's when Satan was defeated. He was defeated when Jesus redeemed or bought back or paid for his people on the cross with his blood. What was owed? What was owed? The people who had sinned owed their life. Owed their life, and Jesus said, because of that sin, uh, you're separated from a holy God, but I'll pay your debt, amen? That's when Satan was beaten. And get this, we are still in the mopping up exercises of that war. The battle has been decided. There's no doubt that Jesus has won, amen? But there's still some pockets of resistance, Speaker and author, Paul David Tripp, I love that guy, he says this. He says, we live in the already and the not yet. We live in the already won and the not yet finished. In other words, Christ is won, but we have yet to see the full outcome, the full benefit of that win. The battle has been decided on the cross, but the evil one is still causing havoc. Check this verse out. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 He, Jesus, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. Now, what is lawlessness? It's it's sin, right? It's just another way to say sin, lawlessness. And to cleanse for himself a people for his own, look at that, possession. Eager to do good works. Please, I want you to see this clearly. Jesus gave himself on the cross, right, to redeem us, buy us back uh, from lawlessness, buy us back out of sin. Why? To clean us up so that we would be a people of his own possession. What is it saying? It says Jesus wants us as a possession. How is that different than Satan? Satan wants us for a possession. Not just, though, to own us. Jesus doesn't just want to own us. It, It adds a caveat there. He says, eager to do good works, a people of his own possession that are eager to do good works. It's what you were created for. So back to John 10.10. Look at the second half of John 10.10. Jesus says, I have come so that they, talking about believers, his people, may have life and have it in abundance. Oh, please, I want you to see this. I want you to see this. Um, If Satan can't have God's power He will steal anything he can get, Uh, anything that God loves, Satan wants to destroy. Do you see the difference in what Jesus and what Satan wants? They both want us. Listen to me. Satan wants you, not because he loves you, but because he wants to hurt his enemy, God. And God loves you. Did you hear that? God loves you. He gave his son for you. And Satan says, I want you too. But not because I love you, but because I want to hurt God. Do you see how that works? You and I are a means to an end for Satan. But Jesus came to redeem us, to give us life and abundance, to give us what we were created, to have a life without sin, without evil, and a life with purpose. Back to Revelation. How is Satan doing this? He's making, uh, I'm sorry, he's marking all the people that are his own with a mark, a brand, right? Uh, And how does the false prophet enforce people uh, to get this mark? Look at verse 17. Here's how he does. So that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. 
the beast's name or the number of its name. That's what the mark is. We're going to look at that. Why do people get the mark? So they, they can buy some groceries. Here's what I want you to see. People are going uh, to get this because they want comfort. It is a short sellout so they can live. And the people that don't get this may die. They may starve. They may freeze to death because they can't buy uh, oil to heat their house or charcoal or uh, maybe gasoline or even water. They may die. The Greek word here, though, what I want you to see for Mark is always associated with the Roman emperor. What, what used to happen is they would take uh, uh, an emperor's name and they would use the letters to, to form kind of a mark, uh, and they would put this all together. This Roman mark often contained uh, some t- pieces of his face or things like that, just kind of the outline, and it was necessary to have the mark to trade back in the day. Does that make sense? And so you've seen it throughout history. Every, uh, every uh, country has this kind of mark. Uh, and if your document doesn't have that, it's just not legal. Uh, the Antichrist mark will serve the same purpose. Everyone who does not wear this mark or number or name will be denied the ability to buy and sell. Here's what uh, I want you to see. What's interesting is that this mark of the beast is a knockoff of uh, or a fake of the real thing um, of what the true God does to us when he makes us his own. The true God seals us in Jesus when we become Christians. That means that when God looks at a true believer in Christ Jesus, he does not see the old sinful you. Even though you may still struggle with sin. I do. God sees the righteousness of Christ Jesus given to you. The, the term that we, we say is we are sealed in Christ Jesus. If you remember back to volume two of the series, um, God seals his followers by giving them a seal on their forehead. It's this picture in the Old Testament uh, of the throne room of God. It's this uh, beautiful picture. And we discovered that if you look at the old Hebrew alphabet, the ancient one, uh, it's the letter of the tau Uh, And it is literally the sign of the cross. Now, this is in the Old Testament long before Jesus is crucified on earth. God is sealing his people with the towel. God puts a sign of the cross on them to identify him as his people. He puts it on their hand. He seals them as his own. So Satan, the beast, the false prophet, institute a symbol of their own, a mandatory symbol to do life, to show everyone who sees this that you are a follower of the Antichrist and that Satan is your God. You are marked and owned by Satan if you take this. Interesting, we see later on that people who get the mark of the beast will come become very sick. Now, this is jumping ahead, but let me show you Revelation 16, verse 2. And, severe, and severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped its image. Whoo! Man, this is, there's a reason not to get it. I find it very telling in those days of the last half of the tribulation 
that last three and a half years, if you take the mark of the beast, your life will be easier. At least that's the claim offered by the, the beast, offered by the false prophet. Uh, but in actuality, we find out just a little while longer that they get painful sores and they're very sick. And eventually, those who receive this mark go to hell. They're cast into the lake of fire. That's much further down. But, but contrast that with the picture of the believer. No, maybe we don't have a physical mark of a cross on it, a seal on our forehead. But the Apostle Paul says this about knowing his Savior. I find this incredibly interesting. Galatians chapter 6, verse 17. From now on, let no one cause me trouble because I bear on my body, what? The marks of Jesus. What is he talking about? He's talking about his suffering that he has endured because he is a Christ follower. Paul carried the marks of Jesus on his body, the proof that he had lived for Christ. He had suffered a life lived for Jesus. The contrast is this. True believers follow Jesus Christ know what Paul is talking about. When we know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are marked with the cross through our suffering, the way we live our life. The old version of us is dead. The new version of us is alive. Amen? Uh, and yet, we have this old body that still longs for the sinful nature, right? As Christians, we live in the already, but the not yet. Christ is one, and yet we still are in this body. Our sins are forgiven, and yet we still wrestle with the temptations. My point is this. Christians face suffering. We just do. Sometimes economic, sometimes health-wise, sometimes pain. Sometimes other countries, there's a lack of freedom, uh, like in China, Vietnam, Korea, some of our places in Africa we've mentioned. But the beautiful thing I want to encourage you with today is that God is using all of it to create a new person in you. Here's what I want you to see. God seals his people with the cross of Christ. I don't know if you're getting this or not. This is so big, he seals his people with the cross of Christ. It's a different talk sometime we'll give, but the sealing is done by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity, but sometimes that sealing, that walking, that marking with the Christ is painful. It just is. It leaves a mark, but one that uh, is scared uh, that uh, the, uh, people are scared of because it hurts. The name of Bentry Church uh, comes from this idea. I was, I was out hiking when we, we knew we were called to start this church. We knew what it was supposed to look like, uh, the style of church, the style of preaching, one where we tried to dive deep into the scripture and yet have uh, extravagant, uh, extravagant worship, radical grace. And, and I said, God, what, what should this church be named? I was like, going, hey, you need some details. And I was sitting there in the Rocky Mountain National Park, and, and I noticed this tree. Uh, you'll notice uh, trees like it. Uh, here's a picture. Uh, by the way, I have to brag. I took this with my iPhone. Um, and uh, it's a bent tree. And you go, they're all different, each one of a kind. And I said, God, why, why are those so pretty? Why are they so unique? And then it dawned on me. I think it was God telling me. This is the, the thing that makes each one so unique, such a one-of-a-kind work of art, is the things that, that uh, were meant to kill it, like, say, fire or wind or uh, rock slides, snow, boy, you name it, scarred that tree in such a way it bent it 
But the things that meant to kill the tree, God used it to create a beautiful tree. That's why we're called bent tree. I mean, this is huge. Um, this is what I want you to understand. Yes, sometimes it hurts to be marked with a cross. When God marks us as his own, but it's always for a reason. He never allows you to be hurt accidentally. And I know the sovereignty of God is such a big issue here. He uses the hurt to make us into this new beautiful creation and one that's not just for beauty, but for a purpose. Oh, please write this down. This is huge. God's purpose for our scars are revealed in how we serve him. Do you get this? It seems funny to me. Some Christians are so worried about the mark of the beast. They want to know all about it, how they can avoid it. But what I find so strange, so funny, is that they're afraid of the wrong thing. They should be more afraid of not being marked with the cross of Christ than being marked with the, the number name of the beast. Do you, are you following me? Our last verse of Revelation today is verse 18 of chapter 13. Look at it now with me. Look at it now. Now this is going to scare some of you, but this shouldn't scare you, and I'll show you why. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. Because it is the number of a person, its number is six, six. Six. Did you just get chills? It started out by saying this calls for wisdom, right? And we have some wisdom, but for some reason, God has kept this part here clouded uh, in mystery, at least for now. Just gives us a picture. But here's what we do number. Here's what we do know about this. The number 666 is the essential number of man. This is important to understand. Let's talk symbolism just for a minute. Don't let this scare you. The number six is one less than what? What? Seven, right? You guys are good at math. Um, God is the number seven. The number seven represents perfect, complete. Man is incomplete. And therefore, the number six. Think of it this way. God made man on the sixth day of creation. God rested on the seventh day. God rested. He took seven days to create everything. Seven is God's number. Look at this. The Antichrist, the most powerful uh, human the world will ever know outside of Christ, will still be a man. In other words, he'll always be a six and never a seven. Even though Satan fully possesses this man, he is still a number six only. And the satanic trinity, get this, is three persons, right? Six, 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 the satanic trinity. If God's number is seven for being perfect and complete, then the real trinity is seven, seven, seven. I want you to see this. The number seven, seven, seven is the essential number of God. I would love to dive deeper, but like I said, this is clothed in a mystery. It's not for us yet. This is big. The threefold redemption of 666 is intended to restate, underscore man's identity 
when the Antichrist is finally revealed, there will be some way to identify him through this number or his name may be an, a numerical equivalent of, say, 666 somehow. We just don't know. Now, here's a warning. Here's a warning. Many throughout the years have tried to identify the beast based on this number. Um, for instance, you can assign a number to a letter, like A is number one, B is number two. You can do that, and you can go back to the ancient uh, alphabets of, say, uh, ancient Hebrew or Greek or any number of uh, those alphabets, and you can try to kind of force-fit different names in there, and people have said, ha-ha, I've come up with the name of the Antichrist. And I'm not going, I doubt that a lock that God put in place that you somehow stumbled on how to open it. I'm just saying, uh, I just don't think you're that smart. Like, I love you. I just don't think you're that smart. Um, here's the thing. People for 2,000 years have tried to name the beast, the Antichrist. Uh, they've come up with Hitler. They've come up with Mao. Man, any world leader, uh, if you're popular enough, you're named the Antichrist. Many early Christians sincerely thought it was the Roman Emperor Nero. Um, it has been assigned to the Pope, uh, every Pope, um, and usually is assigned to every president, usually by the, the opposite party of the president, right? They go, that guy's the Antichrist, right? His name, you can, and you go, yeah, yeah, take a deep breath. We don't believe you. Now, let me give you a warning. It is a dangerous waste of time to speculate beyond what the Bible says here. It just is. Let the Bible speak for itself. Don't add to the Bible. Let me close with this. We have seen it over and over again. Satan tries to fool people by creating counterfeit gospels. So how do you spot counterfeits? How do you spot counterfeit gospels? Do you know how they teach banking professionals to, to spot uh, counterfeit bills, counterfeit money when it comes across their desk? Here's how. They only give them the real thing. They don't let them touch counterfeits. They just give them real money to practice the count. Tellers at a bank learn to identify a fake bill because they know real money so well. The look, the feel, even the smell, the sound as you count money, how fast it goes, or how much it sticks together, how it stacks, all of that. So when a fake bill comes across, even, even if it looks perfectly legit, they're able as a banking professional to identify it quickly because they know the real thing. Jesus said this in John 10, verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand and I and the Father are one. One, listen to me, Jesus is the real thing. Get to know Jesus, his voice, how he speaks, what he says, how does he say it. When, do you, when you do that, a counterfeit gospel will not fool you. You can tell when someone has been with Jesus, can't you? Doing life with Jesus marks a person. Others can see it. They have learned the sound of his voice. Someone marked by Jesus becomes more patient. Kind, gentle, self-discipline, discipline, loving, joyous. Can I just ask you, have you been sealed 
with Jesus? Have you been saved by the blood of the Lamb, the real Lamb? Some of you need to take the next step in following Jesus. You've made the commitment, but now you need to go public with your commitment, your decision. Let your mark show. Here's what I'm saying. Let the world know that you are a follower of Jesus and stand with the crucified one. The next step of baptism is yours. To say, I want to show the world I am a believer.